0: Hi, everybody. This is A Trophy Life, the podcast of the Naismith Awards here in Atlanta. Bob Rathman, bidding you welcome. And coming up on the podcast this week, a real treat. Eamon Brennan, the great writer from ESPN, The Athletic, now branching out on his own. He'll be joining us. We'll talk about the state of college basketball as we head into July and also the state of the media that covers college basketball. He's got some great insights on that and what to look forward to in the new season. All coming up with Neiman in just a moment. Jersey Mike's news and notes. And the biggest note since we joined you last, the expansion officially on July 1st of conferences like the Big 12. And on July the 1st, it was byu Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF officially joining the Big 12. Now, what's interesting, of course, we'll see this come to fruition much more so in college football. That's the next thing on the docket. But we can't wait for the Big 12 Conference basketball schedule to be announced. How about a BYU-Kansas opener? Hmm, let's see if that comes to be. We'll find out later This summer, when the conference basketball schedules are aligned, other conferences expanding. And this, of course, will repeat next summer when we get around to the Big Ten, welcoming in UCLA and USC, and, of course, the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma. But that will be in 2024. We'll chat it up with Eamon Brennan and get uh, his take on things right after this from Jersey Mike's.
1: You gotta love the juice at Jersey Mike's. That zing of real red wine vinegar and olive oil blend is even better than the zing of a first kiss. No offense to Brenda de Marche. It was a fine first smooch for me behind the bleachers. But there's nothing like when that zing of the juice hits your lips for the very first time. Years later, Brennan and I shared a Jersey Mike sub with extra juice. We had a better time because neither of us had braces. Add a flavor zing with the juice. Jersey Mike's a sub above.
0: If you follow the college basketball game closely, and those who cover it, the name Eamon Brennan certainly is at the top of the list of the best of the best who cover college basketball. A veteran whose award winning writing took him through ESPN and The Atlantic and The Athletic, rather, and now has branched out on his own to create a Substack channel for us basketball junkies. It's called Buzzer. It's off and running. Subscribers are there and growing day by day. Eamon, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing fine. This ever changing media landscape, uh, has brought you to this point, take us back and and the, sort of the leap of faith I guess that encouraged you to do this
1: sure yeah well, I, I think um you know it's you're right it is ever changing, and it's something I've been considering for a long time you know I um have a lot of interest alongside sports, and it's something that I think uh people have been really ahead of the curve on in you know video game. Spaces, um, other areas of media. Um, I'm a big Arsenal supporter, and there's uh, some fan communities around sort of content creators that I follow. And, you know, I kick them five, eight, ten bucks a month um, to, to participate in those communities and get all the stuff. And so it's something I've been kind of familiar with for a long time. And um, my situation changed at the athletic and sort of the, the way they're going to cover college basketball kind of changed. I figured, you know, rather than, um, just, you know, sitting out for a few months or, um, uh, uh, just immediately looking for the, for the next thing, I figured let's just take a plunge on this and see how it goes. And so far it's been really positive. Um, it's, you know a, a growing number of subscribers as you mentioned there's a lot of people who have signed up just to receive it in their in their inbox every day and a lot of those people become paid subscribers as we go along and um response has been generally really good and encouraging and it's been fun to do so far so yeah really really enjoying it and it's a it's a slightly different thing but i think coming from the athletic where people a lot of people signed up to read my stuff and and pay for it um, folks are maybe a little bit more used to the idea. And, and in this instance, you're just supporting me directly um, and making the work happen. So it's it's been a good sort of dynamic thus far.
0: Eamon, what do you think the future holds uh, for online uh, and maybe even broadcasting, if you have an opinion, of how college basketball is going to be covered in the future?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I think this sort of stuff makes a ton of sense. I think media for... Really devoted communities of fans is still very viable. You know, I, when I was a, a long time ago, I helped found a, a website about uh, Indiana basketball. That's, you know, was an early, um, example of, of reader funded coverage of one specific team. And that's still an ongoing concern. The, the, um, you know, my friend who runs it, uh, Alex Bozich has been doing it now for the better part of two decades. Um, you see this a lot with, you know, a website like On Three, uh, which is relatively new, but built around fan communities and and really intense coverage of NIL deals and the business of college sports. Like there are a lot of people that care about that stuff. It's maybe a harder sell to folks who are sort of generalists or who are running generalist publications and, and sort of see college basketball as a fun thing you do for a month or two early in the year before everybody gets back to, um, spring football or the NFL. Um, or the things that they think, you know, that they see as, like, when they're sitting down and looking at the numbers that are, are um, you know, in comparison, uh, maybe college basketball compared to, you know, the NFL or free agency or whatever is not doing that same that same number. But um, I think that there are a lot of fans out there who are hungry for that sort of stuff. It's part of why the athletics college basketball desk was so successful in the first place. And I think um, to a small degree and, and in a niche sense, uh, it's what I've sort of experienced so far, that there are a lot of people who um, want to read about the sport. They want to read about it all the time. They're really they're really devoted. And uh, you just have to find a way to to sort of right-size that in a business sense. I think the sub-stack thing makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, sites like, like On3 and, and other um, sites that are, you know, popping up here and there um, make a ton of sense as well. It's just there's different models and, and the kinds of fans that you're trying to hit and the certain kinds of publications are just, you have to be really considerate with it, I think.
0: We are, of course, knee-deep into summer basketball now with uh, Peach Jam and all the youth tournaments that are going on across the country. The month of July, of course, this is that time where we get a peek into the future with what's happening. But I wanted to ask you, Eamon, as, as you look at the month of July and as we turn the corner into the new academic year, sort of give us a... Snapshot State of the Union, if you will. Where do you think our game is as we get set uh, for another season of change? Obviously, the Big 12 is going to look a lot different. How do you see the game as you sit this summer?
1: I mean, I this is something I want to write about uh, in, in, a, in a lot of detail in the near future here, but uh, something I've been thinking about for a long time, I think it's in a really great spot, actually. Um, I think that you look at last season – the, the the level of, you know, top-end player in the sport, guys like that, you know, just focus on the big guys because of the, the way the dynamic is at the NBA level, the kind of, of centers and big men the, that NBA front offices want to have on their roster. Um, you get – and because NIL money makes it profitable for these guys to go back to school and not just force themselves onto, you know, a two-way contract – just to, because that's their only route to, to make money, that are going overseas. you get got guys like Trace Jackson Davis back in college again. Um, you know, he had a season last year that ranked among the best seasons any, any Indiana player has ever had. Um, you know, Zach Eady is coming back again this season. Armando Baycott is coming back again. Hunter Dickinson. These are the stars of college basketball that 10 years ago would have left and they would have left even if the NBA wasn't all that interested in them. Or the NBA would have been maybe a little bit more interested in more conventional back-to-the-basket big guys than it is now. Um, but those dynamics have made it such that, you know, for, for so long, the complaint was, oh, you know, the one-and-done guys make it so I can't figure out who's good every year, and I, I don't get to know the players, so they just leave for the pros right away. There's still a little bit of that, but – but if you don't know who these guys are, you haven't been paying attention for a couple of years now. And, um, I think the ability for teams to rebuild their rosters really quickly through the transfer portal has generally been a good thing. As, as I sort of mentioned, kids are getting paid, which is something that has been the, you know, the inequitable thing about college sports for a long time. And, um, it's a little bit Wild Westy at this point, but I think it'll kind of normalize as everybody gets used to. Things I think the transfer thing will normalize as as sort of the COVID era transfers and everybody just getting waivers all the time kind of fades away a little bit. So I think the sport's in actually a really strong position. I think even with the way the tournament shook out last year, obviously UConn was a big draw, but the rest of the Final Four wasn't. The, the, you know, college hoops, the the tournament and the Final Four still did really good numbers um, comparable to the NBA Finals. So I, I just think it's in a strong position. Um, such that the sort of, you know, relative to the last, like the navel gazing of the last 15 to 20 years, I, I can't remember it being in as strong a, a structural position as it has been. And that's obviously before any of the, the conference realignment
0: stuff comes along. I mentioned the Big 12 and the changes that we'll see this academic year. But of course, in a couple of years, then we have the expansion of the Big 10. What do you think that will do for the college game when you have these coast-to-coast conferences coming onto the scene?
1: Yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think I think it you you do lose a little bit of the culture of some of these places. I, I wrote a thing yesterday about why I think UConn should stay in the Big East, um, and there there seem to be a lot of UConn fans that uh, agree and sort of recognize that that's that what's that's what makes UConn UConn is sort of its regional identity and its rivalries with with other teams from the Big East but there are also a lot of UConn fans that are worried that their athletics program won't be viable and and right now you know that they need a bridge loan from the state every year to make the money work and uh, they want to get into a conference where they think they're going to be part of the sort of the power elite level um in the next five to 10 to 15 years, and I get that as well. So I think we'll see kind of a growing professionalization with these leagues. The the, the idea of the Big Ten having, um, you know, it, sort of originally expanding into Maryland, so you get the D.C. market on cable, Rutgers, so you get the New York market on cable, and now you've got L.A. Um, means that the Big Ten is going to continue to be a financial powerhouse. Uh, the SEC is obviously a financial powerhouse. And so those two leagues are in a bit of an arms race for expansion. And and you I do think you will see um, schools like UConn, which has gone through this entire thing, not being in the Big East for a few years, in the, in the very recent past, and fans were pining to get back in, will look at it and think we either get on board with one of these things or we're going to get left behind. And so I think you'll, you you will see much more of a professionalization from top to bottom, which is going to be required of – of leagues that, that are asking people to, to fly from Rutgers to LA, um, you know, on a, for a weeknight, big 10 basketball game, it's going to be that that's, you're going to have to treat these things like, like sort of mini pro leagues, um, for it, for it to make a lot of sense.
0: And these conferences even have really risen with the big money through the cable bundle uh, the Big Ten was the first to jump on it, and yet, uh, with, through this all ex- this expansion, uh, the cable model is one that is is dying, really, uh, and, and going to streaming. And I'm wondering if the schools, as they look at the expansion issue, say, "Wait a minute, are we going to be able to generate the kind of money that we did ten years ago into the future? When we know from what we've seen so far that once the cable bundle collapses, the streaming money might not be there.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. I think, I mean, the the flip side to that is that everybody still wants live sports. It's like the only thing you can put on TV or streaming that really gets people, you know, in a place at the same time. I think it's still really important. But I agree, like you sort of, you know, this is a very sort of amateur um, thing for me to pay attention to, but you look at sort of like the way streaming has affected box office numbers for for movies um and studios kind of coming out of this idea of like well let's just put it on streaming like two weeks after it comes out in theaters and realizing like oh we're we're not making any money off of that, <laughs> that that's that is not helping us uh actually, we need to keep the movie in theaters for as long as we used to um fifteen years ago when when it could really run for for an extended period of time and and keep making money at the box office. So that same principle um, applying to college sports would be fascinating. I think the money seems like it's going to be there. I think that these, you know, companies like ESPN and CBS um, are cutting around the margins, but still very invested in the core product, which is live sports, and the people broadcasting those live sports, Um it seems like those are the things are those those are the things that that are really high priorities, and so maybe it's not going to happen for a while. But I agree with you that if that if that model totally goes away, um, and people just aren't willing to pay for the SEC network or something, um, you know, sort of standalone on its own, then yeah, you could have an issue. But right now, I think the money is still there, and and the sort of interest um, is still there. And in college basketball, you know the, that that stuff dictates the regular season the one thing college basketball has going for it is the ncaa tournament makes a ton of money and it's a one-time deal and it's run through the ncaa and that contract kind of is what it is for you know the next 15 years or whatever so i think that that part is stable but you're right the rest of it, it feels like it's in total flux and, and 10 years from now could look very different
0: well, we'll worry about that later. We're well, getting ready. We're getting ready for 23, 24, and you touched on it just a second ago about NIL and how players are coming back, and of course the guy that the top of our totem pole from last year, Zach Eady, coming back to Purdue. Now, we're so excited to, to see him, as we saw Oscar Shebue uh, prior to that, and these great players that are coming back to college. It makes the game better. As you look toward the new season, the Teams, the guys that that you're looking at uh, to to have those great seasons once again, what are top of mind for you, Eamon?
1: Well, yeah, certainly Zach Eady uh, coming back to Purdue is you know is he going to have another Player of the Year type season and and in a season that you know they, they are on that Virginia pass or will want to be on that Virginia path of having been upset by a 16 seed and wanting to avenge that. Um, and so having him back for that campaign instead of kind of having to rebuild, um, a new team is obviously a a massive deal for Matt Painter. I mean, Kansas to me is the preseason number one, um, or the most likely preseason number one. The fact that they landed Hunter Dickinson out of the transfer portal, you know, you want to talk about the game changing. I don't know if a player as productive, as good as Hunter Dickinson has ever transferred in the history of college basketball. It just doesn't happen. Um, but with the way Michigan's program has has kind of um, has kind of veered in the last couple seasons, and the way their roster was coming together or not coming together, more accurately, um, he thought he needed to leave. And he's going to be arguably the best player in college hoops next year, or one of them, um, playing for a Kansas team and a coach in Bill Self. That you know will have Kevin McCuller back and Dewan Harris, the point guard back, and and that's just going to be a really really good Kansas team. Um, I'm interested to see Duke in, in John Shire's second season. It's going to be a talented group again, Kyle Filipowski, Tyrese Proctor, um, Jeremy Roach. Like these are, you know, they have a Jared McCain coming in. who's a top 15, top 20 type, uh, recruit. And I'm kind of interested in seeing Shire in year two with a group of guys that aren't quite as young, that are experienced, still very talented. Um, it was a little hit or miss last season. I thought he ended up doing a really nice job. Um, but Duke is still gonna be in a sort of post coach case state of flux until they really break through, go on a deep tournament run, maybe win the ACC and feel like, okay, Duke is, is gonna stay Duke. Um, and that, that's gonna be a difficult question to answer until we really see uh, a top, top level Duke team sort of sustain it over the course of an entire year,
0: win a conference
1: title, go to a final four, that sort of stuff. So we'll, I'm uh, very interested to see sort of, year two under Shire, and sort of the trajectory of the program in year two without Coach K.
0: Awesome stuff. Eamon, what is the best way for college basketball fans to find you on Substack?
1: Sure. So I would just say uh, eamonbrennan.com is the URL. Go there. Nice and easy. Um, I ported the site over to my own URL because it's just a little easier. Um, but, yeah, you can find me on Twitter as well. Uh, you could also probably just Google even Brennan Substack, and it would come up at this point because we've been doing it for a couple of weeks now and yeah, it's been great. Um, sign up, put your email address in there. You can see previews of kind of the stuff I'm writing. There's some free stuff here and there. Uh, most of it is paid and subscriber supported. Um, and yeah, uh, hope people give it a chance to come on down and particularly as we get closer to the season, um, and things start to, you know, start doing some more preseason content and, um, you know, there's lots of benefits for subscribers, live chats. We'll have a Discord server. We'll do, you know, uh, the occasional Zoom calls with, with uh, founding members, stuff like that, that I think it won't just be, hey, I'm writing some stuff and you guys read it. It's kind of an ongoing dialogue that I think is going to be really fun as we get closer to the
0: season as well. Fantastic. Well, I raised my hand. I was in on the ground floor to subscribe, because I read everything you write. It's fabulous.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much, Eamon. Congratulations to you, and we wish you nothing but the best as you branch out on your own. Details in the notes, as you can uh, check up on Eamon on his website and subscribe. Next week on the podcast, Caitlin Clark, our Jersey Mike's Naismith Women's National Player of the Year, will join us We will catch up with her, and after a whirlwind summer, she has been everywhere, and coming off the ESPYs next week, so it'll be fun catching up with Caitlin as we offer our congratulations to her officially here on the podcast. That'll be next week. Until then, Bob Rathman from all of us at the Naismith Awards in Atlanta saying so long.